Welcome back to an all-new Super Metal Brothers podcast episode. I am Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. Today, we are talking to legendary, very contemporary ex-Desert Eagle, to the Killbot Factory, owner of Bennett's Garage, Hidden Intent, and overall top bloke, Phil Bennett. Welcome to the show, mate. How you going? All right. I am absolutely fantastic. Danny, are you fantastic as well? I am. I'm no, he doesn't care. We're here to talk to Phil and all of his Phil products. And straight <laughs> off the bat, I think we need to talk about... The dream where it all started. Um, Phil, let's talk about you as a guitarist. Um, growing up, uh, a lot of people, like when I was growing up, a lot of people said, look, um, don't do guitar unless you want to be poor. Um, and what, what was it like for you? How did you get into it? How did you stumble across it? And uh, where did it all start? Uh, my dad was a guitar, well, is a guitar player. Um, and yeah, so just being constantly around like music and guitar playing when I was a kid growing up. Um, I started to sort of take a really like strong interest in it at around sort of five, six years of age, you know, and, and that was basically just when, yeah, it was like, all right, dad, show me the, the basics. And I think maybe when I was about eight, got my first seven or eight, I got my first electric guitar from a garage sale and just started learning, yeah. you know, chords and bar chords and, and all of that stuff. And just, yeah, just went from there, basically. So Did he uh, have an influence at all? Did he like click records himself or get into that kind of stuff? Yeah, actually, um, he definitely had a big influence. Um, you know, we were just constantly around good music growing up, like me and my two older sisters. Um, you know, a lot of like, you know, my dad's a big Tom Petty fan, big Dire Straits fan. Yeah. Um, you know, Rolling Stones, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of other bands like The Who and, and Wishbone Ash and stuff like that because, you know, my parents are English. So, um, yeah, that was just always like a, a huge influence just subconsciously just being around that music all the time growing up. So. Yeah. Did you, um, how did this get into metal then? Because obviously your dad was into the kind of rock and roll kind of stuff going around in that area, like the 50s and on and so on. When did the first kind of metal influence come into ball? When did you think, oh, that's what I want to be playing now? Um, it's interesting because my dad was sort of like also kind of into that stuff as well. So around that sort of like early to mid 90s period, you know, when those bands were big and, you know, their video clips are playing on TV, you know, so like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Metallica, stuff like that. Um, you know, we were around that music too. And um, I think maybe like when I was maybe about like 12 or 13, um, I was kind of like, you know that sitting down with dad like having a jam or something it's like let's let's work out that metallica riff like because yeah. we were both very self-taught like just play by ear and you know it was, we were just kind of sitting there like figuring out enter sandman and yeah. a couple of like nirvana songs and i think that's when it sort of started to take a sort of step up to things that were current at the time and you know yeah so did you um influence your dad with your style of music as well did he change his like guitar approach or what he used to play or is it just kind of a little bit of a side thing he did side venture to play yeah not really stuff? he's kind of like just got his style and um he's never really sort of strayed from it too much you know kind of like i'll probably still be playing like thrash metal when i'm 80 he's he's just still playing all of that like rock and roll blues stuff that you know influenced him when he was young so that's funny with thrash metal, actually. It's kind of been around for decades, really. However, even though it's evolved and it's changed so much, it still seems like you can identify it pretty much straight away. To a degree, anyway, I find. Like, from the early days, I guess, when it first started, when popularizing it with Metallica albums and Megadeth and stuff like that, to today with Testament, with Brotherhood of the Snake, even though they're completely different, they feel common. Do you kind of agree that thrash has evolved in that kind of context? Or is it a completely different beast now? Is thrash now different to what it was in the 80s i think it's i think it's very valid both because there's a lot of bands that have taken it and done their own thing mm. and you've got these different you know you've got like um you got thrash and you got like black and thrash and and progressive thrash and do all these different like sub genres which still retain like the tremolo picking and the double kicking and yeah and stuff like that and the solos and um but yeah i mean so you still have current bands that are very classically stuff as like Slayer and Anthrax and the, the early Metallica stuff. And then you've got these new bands like, you know, say for example, like Adelaide band Alkira, who've taken it somewhere else. Uh, but also like this killer band from the from the US called Ex Mortis, who are like, they're like black and thrash, but they've put this like real cool, like neoclassical spin on it as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just all kinds of cool stuff happening. Well, hearing your like latest albums at Fear Prey... Fear Prey to mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have to say you guys seem to be more of like a, not really 
Class A thrash. You guys seem to be a bit more progressive, yeah, put different elements into it. Would you think that's the way you guys are progressing, or are you guys trying to branch out your thrash to be a bit more um, overarching, or are you still just 80s thrash and that's what you're going to focus on? Um, All three? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah that's good. Well, yeah, because yeah, like, I mean, we love that 80s stuff and it's fun to play that stuff as well, but we also don't want like an album of like 10 songs that are all exactly the same and they sound like yeah. the first four Metallica albums. So we, we definitely made a conscious decision to um, not only as players um, to keep the songs and the music we're writing more interesting, but also for the listener, you know, to have an album that's, mm. you know, got some different stuff on it and sort of breathes and pulsates and peaks and troughs and goes on this sort of journey sort of thing as a listening experience. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely something that we talked about a lot, thought about a lot, put a lot of thought, you know, time yeah. and effort into it. So because you yeah. said in your uh, Facebook, you actually have a eighty th- straight back at times, but also you're embracing the American and European roots like the Bay Area, Scandinavia, and Teutonic uh, thrash scenes. What uh, what draws my attention is those last three. How you said a uh, Bay Area, Scandinavian. What is and also the uh, Teutonic. What is it those three do differently and how do they incorporate in your kind of style, either consciously or unconsciously? Like, how does it go with you? Uh, well, I mean, it's, I mean, straight off the top of my, straight off the bat, Chris has written that biography and he's into like a hundred more thrash bands than I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, so the bands that I'm aware of and I'm listening to are just a spoonful compared to, to what he knows. But yeah. I, I think it's more of like just listening to and enjoying different styles of music yeah. and just taking it in and being creative and, you know, it, it can vary what comes out. So, yeah. Is that the problem, I guess, being like a thrash band, people kind of already pigeonholed you in a certain style, like just fast, quick, next song, fast, quick, next song? Do you guys automatically have that with you or does that kind of also affect how you write songs? Do you have that consciously, no, no, we want to be more than that? Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, you get pigeonholed and... I think for us, I think if it was like, oh yeah, we, we're we're sort of like, all right, that's how people are going to see us. Let's yeah. let's write just fast songs. I mean, yeah, that that can work, and and bands can do that and give the people what they want. But also like, you you can gauge it. Like we've played shows with different bands and and stuff like that, and it's like, all right, we'll chuck a couple of like like slower songs into the set, mm. groovier songs, or like. You know, or we've been on tour and we've played a slower song, and me and Chris have just looked at each other and just been like, "This isn't working out." Wow, <laughs> let's take that out of the set tomorrow. Yeah, you know? so it gives you options. You yes. know, it gives you places to go. Yeah, because so. you're saying the, like with songs like say "Seas of Hate" and "Waiting in Hell," they are different from some of those other in the album that separate it. And again, like bands in the new thrash era are doing a lot of that. You know, incorporating different styles and the Scandinavian influence being a bit more sadder at times, but uh, also retaining that heavy metal ability. That's interesting that you, know, you said that um, certain places, like you said, people don't want to hear the slower thing. So, like, it's about certain areas in the world like certain metals. Do you feel like in Adelaide that is true as well? Like, Adelaide has a certain sound they're accustomed to and playing different to it might jar the audience? Or do you think that maybe audience just are familiar with what the band want and what they want to hear from the band? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to tell because... Um like certain places might like to hear a certain style of music. Uh, to say, take for instance, like Southeast Asia, they just love like being pulverized yeah. and just circle pitting and 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 all and and moshing and going crazy and all that kind of stuff. Like they they just love that over there. But also, um, you know, if you were say on a bill with like some rock bands or something, yeah, you then you know, like I mean, we um. We played with Anvil recently. Yeah. Um, we got that support through um, Metropolis Touring, um, which was really cool. But it's like, you know, you're not going to go out there and and, and play like um, a full set of like million mile an hour. Yeah. Like probably when you've got like a sort of older demo- demographic of people that might have been into like Iron Maiden, Van Halen, yeah. Anvil, that kind of thing. Um, so it's like, yeah, you know, you want to play something that appeals to those people as well so if you've got those sorts of songs in your arsenal that you can use and you actually enjoy to play as well so i think that's probably the key like not actually writing songs for anybody just just for like, all right we want to write a song in this style like I've yeah got this great riff or something yeah you know is, is a key part of it as well so so do you guys like get inspired by anvil and do like a documentary for when you do it or? <laughs> <laughs> i doubt it Gr- gro- growing a beard and what it takes to be a metalhead <laughs> 
maybe when when me and Chris are old and still just as broke as we are now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's we'll the thing. <laughs> you guys have been on the road now. Like you've done shows in the states, like you said in Asia as well, and obviously across Australia. Um, what is it that a person needs to be aware of? Like, what are three things they have to bring with them as well to like when they tour, so they don't like burn out or whatever. Like, like three things you, that I would recommend for touring yeah, artists. Yeah. The first one I would say is just go out there, make sure you're practiced, make yep. sure you're tight, go out there and just get on stage every night and just blaze. Yeah. Kick as much ass as you can, interact with the crowd, talk to as many people as you can, make as many friends as you can, try to sell as much merch as you can. Yeah. The first time you go somewhere and you've never seen, no one's seen you or heard of you before, if you don't leave a mark, it's a complete waste of time. Yeah. So, if you sell one shirt, two shirts, you know, impress three or four people in the crowd, they're going to tell their friends. They're going to remember. Yeah. The next time you go there, they're going to come back. Yeah. So, um, that, that would be my, my first rule. Just just give it your all and make sure your, your band is on point. Yes. Um, the second thing would be that merch is extremely important. Yeah. There's 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 nothing more important, like I said, as getting your name out there. Have shirts, have patches, have stickers, give the stickers away. You know, have your CDs, all of that. You, you know, you're you're trying to get your name out there. So mm. yeah, leave a mark and yeah, big point of that is the merch is extremely important. I never thought much of it until I saw some other bands of what they do and I was just like, yeah, we've got to get on this train. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, just just everything, like badges, stickers, like, mm. you know, small patches, large patches, everything, anything you can, anything that you can, all right, that guy's got something to remember us by. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, play really well. Um, make sure you got good merch and just be really mindful. The third thing I'm going to say is be really mindful of logistical stuff. Okay. So, if you can stay at a friend's house or a band's house for free, yep. take the opportunity. <laughs> sure. yep. You know, if, if you can get a free coffee at the service station, <laughs> take full advantage. And the, the, the last one of that is, um, you know, if you're an Australian artist, register for APRA, yes. get free baggage with Virgin. Wow. If, yes. you, if you don't do that and you're flying overseas or something... Make sure you've got enough baggage allowance to cover your merch and your guitars and everything because if you go overweight, it costs you a goddamn fortune. Oh, it sounds like from experience, mate. It's been a tough yeah. gig. Yeah. <laughs> so, they're, so they're, they're definitely the top three things I would recommend for yeah. sure. So going with that thing, you said like free coffees and free hotel. Make sure <laughs> make sure you travel on your birthday because when it's your birthday, <laughs> yeah. you get your free birthday things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go to Macca's on my free ice cream. Just lie. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's my birthday today. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, when you go to America, you say, oh no, the date's the wrong way around. No, yeah. it is my birthday yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> talking about the album now, let's talk about Pray Fear Demise. Going into the album, how much of the influence does everyone have? Um, you've got quite the lineup as well, so we'll talk quickly about that. Obviously, Chris McEwen's from like Ex Abysmal, Obsidian Aspect, yourself as well from X, you know, Kill Up Factory, and um, Paul as well uh, t- from a Title and X Death Boundaries and that very technical side. A lot of these guys have a lot of experience from other bands, a lot of influences and stuff like that. How does it all kind of come together then when it comes to writing? Very interesting process. Um, it's the complete opposite of the one guy sitting in his room writing all the material. Yeah. Um, it's it's like me and Chris will come up with something. Chris Chris generally comes up with riffs. I come up with riffs. I come up with song ideas. So um, we'll jam it. Paul is like the main guy. He will sit there and just pull everything apart. You know, we need to cut this down. We need to make this longer. This riff isn't working. Get rid of it. We'll save it for another song all right, we need a part like this or we need a song like this. And he's also like heavily involved in like the vocal phrasing and stuff like that. And even this time around, like I got more involved in like lyrics and and melodies and vocal phrasings and stuff. So it really is like the whole band just gets in on every little detail Mm. um, and we just put the songs together. And, And a lot of it about like what I was saying before as well, like, wanting to write a certain type of song or a certain style of song. Um, so, you know, something like Seeds of Hate or or Petrified or something like that. You know, that's just me and Paul 
sitting around after a gig, after a few drinks, listening to like Pantera yeah. or like the or like Euthanasia or something, being like, man, we need to write something like this. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it, it's it's there's a lot of different things going on with our songwriting. Yeah. So, are you getting involved with the lyric writing now as well? A tiny bit. Yeah. Um, there's one song on the new album, "Drop Bears Are Real," which is uh, which was like a running joke we had when we went over to Europe. And uh, yeah, I was just had all these ideas floating around in my head, and um, <laughs> I showed them to I showed I'm like, oh, I got all these lyrics, and I showed it to Chris and Paul, and they were just kind of like, it's gold. Yeah, like, yeah. like we, we got to use like, it. Like, I think maybe Chris like changed one or two parts and added a few bits in in the middle, and and that was about it. So great, yeah. And I mean, maybe like saying, I mean, me and Paul would maybe say like, "Oh, Chris, you should change this word here," or blah blah blah. But that's probably he is you know ninety five percent the lyric, the lyricist. Yep. So um, yeah, it's it's not something I've ever really thought about getting involved with. Yeah. You know, until recently, so. Well, obviously the boys like it, so hey, when the iron's hot, you strike, I guess. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's one good thing about thrash. I guess maybe it allows you to use that humor side of it because I guess it's a bit of a fun genre, so you're able to use, I guess Australians, I guess kind of known for a laid back, bit of fun approach. So do you notice that when you go overseas, people kind of have that opinion of Australians straight away or how they do you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was Nick from Lich King who I'd known for about five minutes who was like, man, I got to ask, your drop bear is real? And I was just like... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listen to I, the just, song. I just laughed at him. <laughs> but, you know, especially in Europe and stuff like that, they're all like, you know... It was just like we don't we don't drink Fosters. Yes. Yeah. We don't we you know we don't own a koala. Na- Neighbors is huge, but we don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't watch it. And, yeah. And you know koalas don't fall out of trees and kill you. But it's it's a funny idea to um uh you, you know to roll with and um yeah I, I just thought it'd be cool to do something with it and it, it was kind of like a running joke. And yeah. It just evolved into this song thing because the, the song is very heavily like again just me and Paul like watching Lich King every night and they're more of that like crossover thrash style. Yep. Just go, man, we need to write a song like this. You know? Yeah. So there'd be like maybe a certain point in their set or a certain riff where we were just like, man, that's so cool. And it turns into a song, you know. That's not right. Like, not like ripping them off, but yep. just taking like an idea or, or something that you like and, you know, yeah. making it your it's, own. It's a language, right, music. So when yeah. you hear a, a conversation in your life, you're going to repeat it, you know what I mean? Or like I said, do a twist on it yourself. So... He's exactly right. I like the way you you went with that. I think that's why bands like In Behemoth change their style so drastically. Tour with a black metal band for a while, and they start liking that. All of a sudden, the next album is a black metal album. It's mm. normal part of the past, and when it grows as a musician as well. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about also the artwork now with the album. I know this is a weird question, but for me, every time I see an album, I actually already start listening to the album because that gives me an impression of what I get to listen to. Was that important when you decided you'd get a certain guy to do the or girl to do the artwork for your band, or do you just go like, "That's cool, do something like that for our album." The end. Um, it was well, all thing, all things rotten did a killer job of the uh, of the cover, mm. um, and it was very like the you can you can relate any of the lyrics from any of the songs to that cover yes like all the stuff that's going on so it was like you know chris is like you know i want the guy praying you know i want the apocalypse guys yep. like with the masks and stuff and the the aliens and the you know the apocalyptic end of the world vibe yep you know and there's like the drop bear up in the top <laughs> you know oh, yeah. and 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 just yeah just all of those themes just just carry out into the into the cover so it's perfect yeah i feel like it's like mad max on acid kind of thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i always think that as well like when you see a really cool front cover it all of a sudden like throws you into it but these days most albums are like kind of getting sold online and stuff anyway and that do you find that with yourself and your band a lot of it is now digital or you're still finding that hard copies are still selling at gigs uh, a bit of both um we do move our hard copies um i was actually just down at the like post office last week posting out like 10 cities hey, um, just from our band camp sales and stuff but uh i think it's good you've got a lot of people that are still into their physical copy um I'm, i want to look in i'm actually looking into getting vinyls done because the vinyl's just huge at the moment and i've yeah. had a lot of people ask me about it in the last sort of 12 months or so um so getting the album mastered for vinyl and and done on vinyl is i think extremely important too but yeah, the di- the digital stuff just eclipses it. It does. You know, they just we were running a promo where if you, if you get your ticket to Heavy SA, you get a free 
digital album, download yeah. of the album and we, we did that one he no, did, that one. <laughs> did that one <laughs> i tried to sell him a ticket to heavy sa he's like i already got hidden in tents i'm like you bastard we're gonna have him yeah. on the show yeah. <laughs> i'm your blood and then you've been 33 years <laughs> yeah well, you give me the shit why that's what happens um, but yeah, yeah so, so the digital stuff is just it, i mean yeah you'd, you'd be stupid not to have it what is the best digital platform to sell it through there's itunes google play amazon all these killer ones where do you think uh, bands should really be focusing their attention toward it's difficult i think from a band's point of view it's probably good to, to have it on everything you know so um you know a lot of people use Bandcamp. a lot of people use spotify spotify's massive mm-hmm. um but you know then you got all your 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 ipod users and and, and stuff iphone users using itunes and you know they yeah. want to like listen to music at the gym and stuff so yeah. yeah it's uh it's probably easier for you know on an i platform to use itunes than it is to use bandcamp or spotify so it's important to like um e- even have your stuff on youtube as well yeah that's a good point um because a lot of people just go on youtube playlists and that yeah they're trying to do that whole youtube play music thing and they've asked me to do it and i always say no thanks but i feel like i'm like part of the problem now (laughs) you know i feel like i should like put put the subscription in then all of a sudden you know it's gonna work so yeah is that like that um that youtube red thing or whatever yeah that's right man yeah i always click no thanks (laughs) (laughs) i'm thinking like one day if someone said no thanks to me i'll be like oh i'm out of a job but (laughs) (laughs) it's just part of the thing you know i get it because like you said there's so many avenues so so you see those memes on the internet and it's like you know scientists invent nanotechnology that can make a sleeve that goes around your heart to keep your heart beating yeah i still can't close the youtube app and the the music keeps playing like (laughs) that's okay that's why i I don't trust cyborgs i mean my phone on the 23rd december says christmas day is tomorrow now if you can't program christmas day i don't trust like cyborgs and that heart nanotechnology pump i just don't get it so it's scary man i think keep it simple with technology a lot of uh, thrash metal these days is known for the dual, dual, sometimes three guitarists in the sense that trading guitar solos is a bit of a, like you said, a, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a cliche, but again, it's, it is popular in this style. Has the band ever thought about it? Because you guys have a fat enough sound as it is with the three members at the moment. Did it ever come across or was it just a passing thought? Uh, the first couple of years the band together, it was something that came up in conversation a lot. Um, I think Chris was like we should get a second guitarist and a lot of people that saw us live were like you know i can't believe you haven't got a second guitarist or you guys should get a second guitarist and um i was just like nah yeah (laughs) Um, exactly i mean for me personally i I like having the guitar stuff covered yep um you know and i'm a big fan of like van halen yep sabbath pantera yep you know all of those big cool one guitar bands or even you know before we were talking about nirvana you know nirvana had kurt had like a massive huge monstrous grungy heavy guitar sound sound, yeah you know so i I just like the idea of of just being the only guitarist and i think it's something different being a three-piece it's easier to travel places and organize band practices yes um yeah Yeah, i know yeah and the one thing to not overlook at it is that when you have two guitarists naturally you need the guys to line up better because if you've got that wall of distortion and one of them's out you've lost the band you've lost the audience yeah i mean there's so many different ways you can go so it's like your two guitarists have got to complement each other you know with their guitar tones or their guitar styles or whatever yeah and then it's like all right do you get like a solid rhythm guy or do you get another shredder yeah and then start trading solos and, and doing harmonies and stuff like that it's like there's just all of these different ways you can go yeah Whereas it's kind of like this is my style and and that and that's part of the band how the band is so yeah I think now we've hit that point where it would just be pointless getting another person in anyway so you've you've crafted it now this is your second album with the band it seems like you guys are solidifying a sound but also evolving it every album so like you said putting in there would be a disservice for now the fans that have jumped on board you know they'll be expecting like well why why have you changed it and sound so much so like you said you've cemented yourself in the industry yeah and, and I mean it's also nice 
I mean, I've had a few people come up to me after shows and be like, man, I can't believe how big you guys sound for a three piece. Yeah, that's right. It's, um, you know, they're, they're, they're impressed by it. So yeah. I, th- I think that's really cool as well. Like we must be yeah. doing something right. So a lot of it pays down to the venue you play at as well. You know, they can beef up your sound, but also you work, each guitarist has to work on their sound as well. Are you a massive gear nerd as well? Or you find yourself just like, look, I've got a killer sound now. People are happy. I'll just keep it that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've spent a lot of years working on my tone and and how I want to sound, and I've I've got I've got like a sweet little touring setup at the moment, which I'm super stoked with. But yeah, I, I am also like a massive gear nerd. Cool. If, if there's something I can do to improve my sound or get a better sound or have like, uh, you know, make something simpler, then I'm all for it. So that's interesting, isn't it? I have the same philosophy. It should be like simplified more, and the natural tone should come from the hands. You know, that way you get the more authentic sound and more beefier sound so have you literally gotten your sound to be like just one or two pedals in the the amp or what are you using at the moment uh use a digitech preamp guitar preamp mm-hmm. um it's a gsp 1101 mm-hmm. um and uh i use the isp stealth power amp yep um so they're both like they're both small and light yep. so they're yep. one rack mount units um and they're only i mean they're in a half depth case yeah. So I think the whole thing is with all my cables and everything in it is about twelve kilos. Nice. Yeah. Uh, pretty small and compact, um, which is extremely important for like fitting in cars, fitting in taxis, yeah. taking Clever. on planes, all, all that. It, it's designed around traveling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also being able to have the same tone every night. I've got a just a little MIDI controller that changes effects, so it's just one cable out to the MIDI controller. You know, I don't have to mess around with like power supplies, patch leads, pedals, worry about if there's any power at the front of the stage. Yeah, that's right. All, all of these things that I've had issues with over the years, you know, just, just eliminate them all. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like, all right, I've got my clean sound if I need it. I've got my distortion rhythm tone. I've got my noise gate. You know, I've got my delays and my effects and my wire and everything that I need to do solos. Yep. yep you yep. know, and I can just plug in and go and it's all simple and it's lightweight. But, you know, it also, it also has its restrictions. So, if more better technology comes along, say, for instance, like a Kemper. Yeah. Which I would really love to get my hands on. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, then, you know, I'm all for it. But I'm also like, I'm super into like guitar heads and cabs and, and pedals and, and wicked you know, quirky things and, and, and diff, you know, like different wires. I've got a Kirk Hammett wire at home, which I, I just freaking love that thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's I don't chuck it in my bag because it's heavy. <laughs> yeah. And that thing is going to cost you, if you're not virgin, a and few I, bucks. Yeah. And i got to put batteries in it. Yes. And it's just, oh, you know, so a, lot of, a lot of my, li- my live gear that I use is just based around ease. And, and I mean, even local shows, I just... Can't be stuff. Can't yeah. be bothered carrying the stuff anymore. I, so. I feel like I need to alienate Daniel even more from this conversation. So I'm going to ask another guitar-related question. <laughs> a guy called Frank Gambali, known as one of Australia's greatest jazz fusionist guitarists, right, said that tube amps back in the day were great because they gave you a sound rah rah. But the technology advanced so much that lunking around seven thousand kilos every night is just not worth it because digital is really caught up and and it, it gone past it almost. Do you agree that now digital is the way future for metal or does tubes still have a place in heavy metal? Tubes definitely have a place in heavy metal and I think, like say for instance the album, you can't beat, I just love an absolutely like blaging, blazing, raging, I tried to combine those two words. Yeah, no, no, I was cool with it. I, was really it. I, I invented a new word, blaging. It's a new song no, title. New yeah. song. Uh, like tube amp head. Um, yes. Like, I had a 6505 for a while. The thing was just absolutely wild. Yep. Um, I've always been a Marshall guy, but all the rhythm tones and that on the current album are all 51, 52. Gain on maybe like three or four, mm-hmm. just off its head, loud. Like, if you went into the room that the cab was in, it would probably melt your face off. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just sounded sick. Yeah, it does, and, doesn't and it? And, like, you can feel it moving. You can feel the speakers moving the air. And it, it's just rad. But, I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding when you've got big, big, like, touring guys like Metallica mm-hmm. using fractals now yep. and using solid-state power amps. Yep. It's like, that. that's Metallica, man. Yeah. They've, they've had, like huge fridges of gear for like the entire time they've been touring and just disposable income to take whatever they want anywhere oh yeah that's right and and now they're on fractals and 
solid state of power amps. That's a really so interesting like, point. I, I don't think you need any more evidence than that than than the di- the digital stuff's catching up. So. Fair enough. Um, let's move on to the album with the mixing then as well, because obviously you recorded with the one and only Andy Kite. Yeah, the, man. The, the guy's a champ. Like, honestly, how much fun is it to uh, record with the guy, honestly? Andy fucking rules. <laughs> he, I can't actually even imagine now like recording with anyone else. He's just... I mean, he knows how we work now. Yeah. Which which speeds up the recording pro- process. Um, but he, he's just so funny and efficient. And I think the coolest thing about Andy is... I, I've been around like musicians and sound guys and, and in studio situations before where it's like, oh, you know, I got this idea and it's like, oh, no, if we do that, you know, this is going to happen and blah, blah, blah. Just uh, try this. Andy's not like that. He's like, all right, man, plug your thing in and or, or, or all right, what sound do you want? Let's see if we can download a plug-in or something, you know? So yeah, he, he's really great to work with. The one thing I like about him, like you said, he takes the pressure off as well. I remember we were doing a, um, this is going to sound really, I don't mean it to sound offensive, but um, what he would do is get your mind off of it because you're in this room for eight hours a day and we're making jokes about how we think women are gay because they'll have uh, sex with penises and that makes them gay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and when you're in a room with someone for six hours smelling their farts all day, you'd be surprised how funny that gets, right? It's, it's, am- it's amazing. Like, <laughs> I, I can't, you can't even begin to fathom the amount of shit and, <laughs> and inappropriate jokes that have been... Said in that room. <laughs> that have been said in that room. But that's the thing. It's like you... The recording process for people out there it can be like literally eight hours to twelve hours a day. You're in a room playing one song or a bunch of songs getting perfect. How did you find that? Did you find it pretty smooth though? With any, like you said, he, he's very easy going. So with this album, do you give him any direction at all, or is he just like, we? You've got the idea. I'm going to replicate what you said. The album was somewhat of a mammoth task. We'll start out with the fact that Paul just goes in and records drums by himself with a click track. So. Andy's got like drum tracks with no music, like no scratch guitars or anything, Oops. which is different, but that's sort of Paul's approach and the way he gets things done efficiently. The Addicted Eternal single we did an Addicted to Thrash video clip was done about two years ago. So then we did the Petrified, Apocalypse Petrified after that. Then we did what we thought was the rest of the album. And then we wrote Imminent, Imminent Psychosis and Drop Bears. So the album was recorded in four separate sessions. You know, mo- most of the guitars were done, but, you know, it obviously, like, the new tracks we recorded and the two new ones needed doing, all the bass needed doing, all the vocals needed doing. So then we had four sessions worth of stuff that needed to be put into one session to then get all the drums sounding the same, reamp all the bass, reamp all the guitars. I can't imagine how much of an epic task this must have been for Andy. Yes. For Andy. Yeah. <laughs> just just sitting at Pro Tools, just going, uh. <laughs> but but um, yeah. So it was like a really involved process. Yeah. So uh, initially, did you guys just want to do like an EP and then do five or so tracks and it turned to a full length album? Was it always going to be full length? We had the uh, we had the intention of making an album, but when Paul joined the band, we felt that it was just such a big step up into into a different realm of what we were capable of playing and yep. the songs that we were we were capable of writing from our previous drummer Jay that we were just like we don't want to wait around a year and a half to write and record an album with this guy I think we should release something now and that's where the idea for doing a single and, and doing some touring and and stuff like that came from so that was extremely beneficial for us to to do that otherwise you know, can you imagine if we just released like Fear, Pray, Demise and not done anything since Walking Through Hell? Like, there just would have been this huge gap where, yeah. you know, we wouldn't have got on those tours that we've done or or, or done all the, any of the supports or anything we we we've gotten. So yeah, the, but the hindsight, at the you know, the flip side of that is the tours we went on and the gigs we got prolonged the release and and the writing and recording of the album as well. So it became this like big drawn out process but yeah we got there eventually so yeah. well it's interesting you said that about the album because I was remember talking to Daniel remember that uh, Machine Head problem they were saying uh, f- the the guy from Machine Head yeah, Rob Flynn Rob Flynn was talking album. about how albums now he reckons that um, 
it's going to change and evolve where it's going to be more like R&B where we start releasing singles more and the album might actually disappear. But you're saying that, no, the album cycle is still important and in fact really helped you guys get the exposure you needed. Do you see, because I think you can release the single, you know, and then you can get the money off that and you release each song eventually and you can get money that way. What do you think? Do you think the album still has a very big place in metal or do you think eventually that we will just release singles? I think the purists out there, especially in heavy metal, want albums. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the guys that are going to the shows and, and buying stuff want albums. The people that are buying the vinyls want albums. But there's also, it's all so extremely important to have the singles mm-hmm. for, for the guy that's, or for the person that just wants to listen to one track, you know, while they're at the gym or whatever. They might not hear that song on that album but if it's released as a single, it might appeal to them, which, you know, if they only listen to that one song or two songs or whatever, that's cool. But, you know, if they listen to that song and that leads them into listening to the whole album, that song kind of becomes a gateway track to the entire album as opposed to, you know, just being lost in oblivion. So, As a writer for yourself, would you rather do that? Though? Like, If you could decide the way the market is, would you rather have the album because you like as a uh, artist to express an idea and the whole concept or would you be happier just to like whenever you feel like release a song when you feel inspired and that's what the fans get? And that's the way it is. I think it depends on the position you're in. You know, like if, if six months down the track we had another album written, you wouldn't release another album. Yeah, that's true. Because you just released this six months ago. But if we were like, let's keep the ball rolling with a new single, yeah. you know, that's that's definitely something to just sort of reignite people's interest in the band. Like, oh, they got something new, yeah. you know, so... I think it's very important now. So much competition these days, and people's attention spans not being so great. You unfortunately have to keep reminding people you're still there. And I guess that single allows you to do that. And Definitely, man. Yeah. It's the digital age. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, oh, is that pretty light? Let's go over there. We'll move on now to our next, I guess, more of a focus now on um, the touring aspect as well. Going back to it again, um, we've done full Terror Assault in the US, headlining Bangkok Thrash Festival in Thailand, you did Metal Fest and Black and Open Air and stuff like that. When did it change? When did you guys go from just being like playing at Enigma Bar at 12 o'clock at night to now you're now actually on stages and doing festivals and stuff like that? Did you guys get your door knocked on or did you have to literally knock on doors everywhere? Like, when did it change for you guys? Uh, that's just all. Chris basically just networking making contacts getting in touch with other people and other bands and just poking like poking people (laughs) and and poking me and Paul and just being like guys we should do this tour we should do this show yeah I've got this thing yeah you know um like I was saying before about like getting out there and just trying to kick as much ass as possible it's like when you the first or even second time you go to these places like it could be Melbourne or Sydney or you know, a regional show like Warrnambool or something like that to playing Bangkok Thrash Festival or or going over to the States or anything. These people have never heard of you. They've never seen you before. They don't know what you're about. You know, I I go back to our first ever gig at the Squatters in in 2011 or whatever. I I actually said this to Chris when we were in the States. I was like, this is the Squatters, man. Like, this is our first show at the Squatters. These people don't know us. They don't know what we're about. They, they don't know what style of music we play or, or what's coming, you know. So, we just got to go out there and just and just do what we can. And um, that's extremely important to... Opportunities do get presented to, to you, but you've also got to go out there and find it and, you know, play with bands, make friends, try and impress people, get your name out there. And then things start to come along. It's funny you should mention Blackened and what we were talking about before with the albums because... We released the Addicted single and the Addicted video clip and that helped us get onto Black and the Globe because the, the, prom- the promoter was like, oh yeah, I just saw your latest single and video clip. Like, it's killer. Like, you know, do you guys want to come up and play? So that's opportunity and, um, you know, that's that's a good example of how doing something like a single or a video clip can be beneficial for your band, you know, because yeah. once you've got something fresh, people might see it and they might see a certain side of your band or something that they didn't notice before or... You know, you might catch their attention and then you get offered opportunities. So Yeah, I guess it shows you like your level of professionalism as well. If you're willing to put the time and effort in to do singles, to do film clips, I guess I think, no, these guys want to be professional. They want to put the effort in. If I get them on my bill, they won't embarrass the festival. They put in the hard yards. So I guess Definitely. that's also that part. It's all about marketing and looking all about prestige, I guess. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. How was the film clip? Did you have a bit of fun with it or was it... 
bit boring. I've heard sometimes on set can be just sitting around for 20 hours doing nothing for 10 seconds of filming. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot like being in the studio, but just with a video camera. So it's kind of like the same. It's a lot of fun and it's a lot of sitting around doing absolutely nothing, just bored out of That's your right. mind. Because, yeah, so <laughs> second the levels, they're doing the lighting yeah. and it's like more of the nature of the same beast, you know? Yeah. I, li- I like making videos, man. Oh, yeah. good. I want to talk about the Juggernauts of Destruction. You're playing with them at Fowler's Live, 21st of April. These uh, these bands are playing with a pretty massive... Does it um, kind of like... Do you feel the tension with the band? Like playing, like, it's like like with the going out playing Champions League final with Liverpool or Real Madrid. It feels like it's a big deal for you guys because it's a big stage. Do you guys ever feel the pressure to perform live with playing with these guys or it's just part of the parcel and just being professional? I think you definitely feel the pressure, but I think you've just got to be like, all right, we're just going to go out and do our thing. Yeah. I read something really cool that struck with me on the on the internet the other day, which, which was about like the band's shouldn't really compete with each other yeah like we've got to compete with tv and like video games and netflix and all that kind of stuff so it's like you know we should we should probably work together here yeah and we've been very fortunate enough to play with bands that yeah everyone's cool everyone's got the same attitude they're always happy to like hang out with you and say hello and you know i think maybe like one of the things that really blew me away was um maybe like when we supported Halloween at the Gov, that that was cool. That, that those guys were just like, I just rocked up at sound check. Well, I rocked up to to load in, and they were sound checking, and they just sounded absolutely massive. Yeah, okay. extremely professional. They're all more than happy to say hello and hang out and yeah. have a chat and and all of that. But um, after the gig, the the vocalist is just like. He's like, yes, I was in the beer garden. I have my beer and my cigarettes and I watch you and I love every second you crazy thrashers. And I'm just like, man, this is so cool, you know, because um, I think that's extremely important for everyone to get along and and, um, enjoy each other's music and just appreciate each other. And, you know, you're putting on a show for everyone and every band is as equally as important as the other so do you find that uh, in the Adelaide metal scene at the moment I was talking to Jason North about this last time and he's a little bit worried that um, seeing where it's come from from the 80s and that or not sorry the 90s sorry when he first started to today it's just kind of descends it a little in the point that like you'd get 200 people going to a gig now it's very much mixed um, do you feel now with the rise of bands like yourself um, even like Psychroptic, well, maybe even more locally um, with obviously Truth Corrode's success as well, that Adelaide's now going to return, actually going to get bigger again? Or do you feel it's kind of, let's say, lukewarm the last 10 years or so? It's interesting, man, because it's, it's really about the demographic and what people want to see in here, mm. you know? So, like, I remember when Slipknot and Machine Head played at Wavell the, in the Pavilion or whatever, mm-hmm. there was like four and a half thousand people there or something. And I just remember thinking to myself... How are we only getting like 45 to yeah. 50 to 90? Like a good night at Enigma Bar is maybe like 100 payers. Yeah, yeah that's good yeah. night. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, so it's like 2% of these this yeah. crowd. Yeah. You know, so, and I mean, you got to factor in like the, the people that can only afford to go out now and then and the people yep. that have come from interstate and all yep. that kind of thing. But it's like, how do you reach these people? Mm. You know, mm. how, how do you promote? How do you connect? What, what can you offer them? So, I, I just think the people are there. You've just got to connect with them somehow. And and I think anyone that, you know, doesn't like another band or is trying to compete with another band or anything like that is just doing themselves an injustice. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good. Humans are generally competitive. Like, if, you, if you're playing sport or, or like, um, you know, if you're into, like, motor racing or whatever, like, people like to be competitive. And it's like, oh, we're, we're faster than this band or we're heavier than this band yeah. or we're more brutal than these guys or whatever. But it's like... Okay, fine, mm. but play a show together. Yes, b- b- yeah. because you're going to get your crowd and their crowd. Yeah. yeah, you know, and you know, organize a deal with the guys at the bar to have cheap drink specials and charge five bucks or ten bucks at the door. Yeah, because if it's cheap, people are going to come. Yes, yeah. So that's kind of like, all right, you can be competitive, but you can band together and make it better for everybody. So, yeah, and like I think from talking to to I mean I know so many people in, in in like Adelaide and all over Australia now in other bands and bands that we've played with and stuff and it's like everybody is just cool. Yeah. Everybody hey. is happy to hang out and have a good time and 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 play a show with you. So yeah. 
that's just how it should be i think you yeah all band together and you know do yourselves a favor and just play these these good shows and and everybody has a good time and rock yeah. out yeah. i got a question uh that we're going to ask we ask this every person that comes in we pick three of the bands that are listed on your website or your, your facebook okay okay Gen- generally it's the marry screw and kill but we like to do another one it's bands yeah. that you can tour with bands that you can join and a band you have to break up. So we've got three bands for you. One you need to get to look, it can just be like a reunion show. You can because I know you got your band right. So you just do, you get to be their guitarist for a tour or whatever. Um, one you have to you get some support, so Hidden Intent gets to be on the road with this band. But the last one you gotta break up, right? So I'm gonna give you three bands and you're gonna choose which one you wanna do in which. Uh, no pressure, just case No you play pressure, with it, but you know. if you do pick the wrong one, <laughs> I don't know, Hidden Intent shows might get a little bit smaller. <laughs> 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 uh, it's all fun It's all fun Testament Creator And Iron Maiden Which one are you going to tour with Which one are you going to join For a tour or whatever And which one are you going to break up uh, I would 100% um, Replace Yannick in Iron Maiden <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Easiest answer ever You're an uh, Iron Man fan Danny be- Because um, I like to just jump around the stage And just Be an idiot Yep And Like uh, I actually Took part in an Iron Maiden tribute show once and um, I had to learn Yannick's stuff, and uh, it was actually like really, really fun. Awesome, so, uh, 100% um, on that. Where'd you see Iron? Where'd you see Iron Maiden last? When was the last time you saw them? Uh, when they played at the Entertainment Center on the Book of Souls tour. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they get the biggest stage, the biggest props, um, the best lighting. Like these guys just go the extra yeah, they beyond, so beyond lucky, don't they? Man. Yeah. Yeah. You, you weren't that guy who got kicked out, were you? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. No, we've been the guitarist. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we picked the one that you're going to join. Okay, which one are you going to tour with, dude? Uh, I'm going to say Creator. Okay. Oh, yeah. See you later, Testament. So, Testament. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, wow. You're not a, not a fan of the Brotherhood of the Snake at all? Eric Peterson couldn't care about him? <laughs> Actually, that's great because you break up people focus more on Dragon yeah, Lord. That's true. Yeah, break yeah. up. Yeah, break up Testament. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't know why. I've just never really got into Testament. I've never yeah. Testament have never given me that fish hook. Ah, that's fair enough. Just grabbed me and drawn me in. So I mean, I'm not saying that that stuff is like, bad. Isn't out there? Yeah. Like they've probably got that one album that I'm like, oh my god, how did I never hear this? Yeah, that's right. I just haven't heard it yet. So oh, they've got twenty something years. So their lineage, like Samael, they've been around since the '80s almost. And it's like well, there is an album there for you, like you said. But yeah, it's tricky. Although, like you said, we're happy with your answers because yeah, we're a Dragon Lord fan. <laughs> Eric Peterson is just one of those guys who's naturally gifted, and he, whatever he writes is just awesome. So when he decided to a black death metal band, it was yeah, awesome. It was weird, it was great. You know? So that's really cool. Danny, where should we uh, finish up? Any more questions for our boy? I oh, just really what's coming up at Hidden Intent. Any yeah. like gigs coming up? Any ideas with touring or you know singles coming out? Just tell us what's what's up in the uh, horizon. At the moment, um, we're in the process of um, doing a few more videos. I've toyed with the idea with the guys about what we were saying before about the digital age and stuff. Um, and Metallica have done it recently, and I've seen a few other bands do it as well, like smaller bands and bigger bands, is having a video clip for every song. Whoa, jeez. Um, so, and, and it could be anything, like we just released Pray For Your Death, and that was a culmination of live footage that we had from all the stupid, crazy stuff that we've done. You know, lyric videos, picture videos more videos that have been professionally recorded, stuff like that. Just anything, really. I mean, obviously, we, we got to work on a budget, so yes. yeah. that's an idea that we've been toying with. Uh, we've got Heavy SA coming up, which we'd... 14th of April. Um, yeah, you guys are on pretty late, but so you could, it'll be a good little set for you guys, I reckon. Oh, it'll be fun, man. I'm yeah. looking, it's going to be a rad day. I can't wait. There's yeah. so many good bands. Northy always says, like, the amount of people who get really invested in Heavy SA rivals New Dead Fest, and they're pulling bands like, um, you know, uh, yeah, Bajira and Napalm yeah, Death yeah. and stuff. But Heavy SA do get some massive crowds. They really like support it, so it's going to be a good show. Yeah, I mean, a uh, little old Adelaide. Uh, I don't want to pump up our own tires, but yeah. we've got some killer bands. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something some, some, some of my favorite bands are, are Adelaide and and Australian bands at the moment. I, yeah. I just think like I don't know what's happened to. I can't figure it out because it feels like Australia now is just starting to pop again with its medals now. You know, I mean, back in the day we had like um, some really good metalcore stuff coming through, but it feels like now Australia is getting recognised for like progressive elements, death metal elements, black metal elements as well now. So do you think now it's just we've gotten more angry that we're not being getting hurt and they've just gotten even more into it? Or what's happening? I think the great bands have always been around, but I I think maybe like take take an Adelaide band that's pretty new on the scene, like Freedom of Fear. 
Yeah. And you've got this whole like new range of young kids, mid to early 20s. Um, Asylum from, Bris- from Brisbane is another great example of yep. this. They are like eclipsing my generation in terms of musical ability. Yep. And, and, and I think that's a lot because of like the digital world, like the lessons that are available online now and, and all that kind of stuff that's happening. So it's like these guys are just getting killer their instruments, yeah. writing wicked music. Yeah. They can distribute it online and everything and get their names out there. Yeah. So, so we've got these bands now that you just watch them and like even like Dissidia and bands like that I just watched them and I'm just like oh, uh, yeah. yeah like yeah. they got more talent in their toenails than I do <laughs> <laughs> they're just so good like yeah um, so I think there's that side of it as well like you got all these great musicians forming bands and writing killer music and you've also got a means for them to be discovered now so yeah true that the, that's the way the whole like scene's going and you know what I mean like you know the guys that have been around for ages like Truth Corroded and stuff like that are writing wicked music as well yeah and playing kick-ass live shows. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I just saw Truthies support Overkill and they were absolutely weird. Yeah, they're nuts. They're going faster. Oh, the, I think it's actually one of the best sets that I've that I've seen them play. Yeah. Um, you know, because I've seen them that many times. I'm kind of just like, oh yeah, Truthies are on. And, yeah. Oh, I'm going to go check out this, this killer solo that Chris does or whatever. But the yeah. Overkill, I was just like, watch the whole set and I'm like, yeah. yeah. And, like, <laughs> and even like Shadow Realm and older guys, but they're just like... They're crazy good, man. Yeah. yeah, we heard them they're on... Like, <laughs> yeah, we heard them on Triple J and we're like, damn, where yeah. the hell did that come Unreal, from? You know, man. they're just shredding for years and you're like, we got that in here. I thought that was like Michael Romeo yeah. for one second, you know, but so, um, <laughs> it was good stuff. No, very good. Absolutely unreal. So yeah, I, th- I think it's um, Australia's doing the right thing in the metal. So definitely keep, in the metal scene for sure. Keep on keeping on. We got wicked bands. Sweet, good on you. Go Australia. Yeah, go Australia. Australia. We really won that. That was we got wicked yeah, bands exactly. So yeah, so we got fourteenth uh, of April. Come see uh, Hidden Intent play there, and like you said, there's a bunch of other cool Adelaide bands. Um, and then you got a couple of shows. You got some film clips coming out. Uh, where can they find you guys? You on Facebook? You on Twitter? Like, what's the best way of finding Hidden Intent? Uh, yeah, Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Bandcamp, iTunes. You're everywhere. YouTube. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Phil. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Any other parting words you want to give to our fans, any guitarists out there you want to give advice to? Um, guitarist advice? Yeah. I think practice is important. Mm-hmm. Tone is important. Mm-hmm. And just being able to go and play anywhere and be comfortable and have your sound in your band, like what I was saying before about having gear that I can take on tour anywhere, I think that's really important. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Thank, Thank you very much. Well, with that, I'm in Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm in Super Metal Brother Dan. Thank you, Phil, for being on the show. And uh, we'll have to catch you guys next time. Indeed. Thanks for having me, man. It was killer. <laughs> <laughs>